Yes, how fantastic. Zoom for Sam podcast. Greetings and welcome to the 8th episode of the Zoom for Sam podcast. The show where I share my joy of Samantha Fox by spotlighting a single single in a single episode. A proud pot of the Fire and Water Records feed from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I am your host, the somewhat cheeky when not completely naughty Zoom Yukonori. And today, I am spotlighting another one of my favorite songs from Ms. Fox's 2005 autobiographical album, Angel with an Attitude. More specifically, the ninth track, entitled, Breathe.
the mostly progressive house style of the music for this song. Mixed by contemporary trance producers Wayne Frost and Larry Lush, is a bit of a paradox. The dreamy yet deep electronic string and chime sounds, along with the chugging bass line, create a somber serenity to coax a feeling of meditation, which is apt for the song's subject matter. And yet, the accompanying percussions maintain a bit of a rock beat throughout. While I do not see this as a disparity per se, I do find the combination of the two rhythms to work very well with the contrasting song lyrics written by Ms. Fox and Myra Stratton. I was about to say a problem-solution contrast, but it is really a situation-and-response contrast in this particular case. Ms. Fox had once told me that all of the songs from her Angel with an Attitude album come from her heart, and Breathe is no exception. While the verses undoubtedly make indirect references to Ms. Fox's personal life, they are denoted as universal experiences to which everyone can relate at one time or another. Or, to be more specific, the difficult choices that everyone would have to make in their lives. One example in the song itself is the choice to start a new romantic relationship with a newfound love. Despite the benefits, there is a risk of being hurt, a risk that may be compounded by the doubt that formed because of a past true love that actually wasn't true. There is also a reference to the choice between having to do what is right or to resist the temptation to do something wrong. And then there is the situation of having an identity that does not fit the so-called norms of society, and with it the choice between keeping that identity a secret and denying one's true self, or leading the lifestyle one wants and having to face the unwanted and unwarranted judgment from the public. These are not easy decisions to make and this song does not intend to offer any advice on how to make them, except to not make such decisions rashly, and to instead take a moment to breathe through it. Sage advice that had come from a very important person in Ms. Fox's life. I think many of us have been through these times where we're frightened, we're stressed, and we, we don't really know what to do and we panic. I always remember my mum saying, Sam, just breathe through it all. Relax. Just be the person you are and don't worry about nothing and breathe through it all. And show people that you really don't care what they think. The most important thing in life, everybody, and the person that you love is yourself. You must look in that mirror and love yourself because you are number one. So everybody, just breathe through it all. Any problems that you've got, just breathe, think about it, and deal with it, okay? I love you. Mwah. The song also makes clear that one should not avoid making these choices or evade the problems in one's life, which is such a common response when facing a difficult decision that it is practically human nature. This notion is made especially clear in the male vocal sequence performed by Larry Lush near the end of the track. 
You've got a choice to make, and you should make it because you've got to, because you have to, because you want to. Just breathe through it, live through it, walk through it, feel with it, make a choice with it. Easier said than done, I know, but then most sound and profound advice usually is. I must also point out the brilliance of the delivery of this male vocal sequence, to which some people would refer as a rap, though I myself would not be one of them. The smooth delivery, to me, sounded more of a chant, which added to the meditative aesthetic of the song, just as Ms. Fox and Stratton's lyrics added layers to the advice to breathe through it and let it breathe through you. My personal connection to this song is a tad tangential. As one who had formerly practiced Aikido for many, many years, I had been taught the importance of breathing. In fact, my first lessons at age eight were to essentially relearn how to breathe in order to improve the flow of my ki, or my life energy, to better unify my mind and body to be more sensitive to situations, and to hone my physical skills in order to not be a better fighter, but to be better able to essentially quell conflict to a peaceful resolution. At age eight, I cheekily condensed this philosophy to a simple phrase, remain calm and do no harm. And from a more secular view, this song reminded me of similar parental advice for me to stop and take a breath and take a moment to think instead of acting rash. There were, of course, a number of times in my youth where I did not follow any of this advice. And to tie this back to Samantha Fox, one event in particular was connected to Danielle Parsons, the girl in my Form 5 class of whom Ms. Fox reminds me so very much and the girl who essentially made me breathless at age 16. As I had explained on previous episodes of Zoom for Sam, Dan was my best friend and for whom my 16-year-old heart had pined for months, even though she was dating other boys during the time I had known her. The last of these boys was Derek, a 19-year-old server at a pub near my school whose owner was actually a friend of my father. That was why he had no qualms with allowing me to treat Dan for a fish and chips meal after school at his establishment, even though we were both underage. It was as Derek served our meal that he and Dan had caught each other's eye, and eventually agreed to a date before we had left the pub. Dan had gone on at least four dates with Derek that I had known of, for I would provide an alibi by claiming that Dan and I were studying during that time so she could keep her dating a secret from her disciplinarian parents. It was the most dishonest thing I had ever chosen to do. I was young, I thought her parents were overly strict, 
and I was hopelessly in love with my best friend that I was willing to do anything for her, even allow her to be with another. From what she had told me, I could see that Dan was completely enamored by Derek after her second date, with him being older and much more mature than the boys in her class that she had previously dated, and that she was really looking forward to her third date. She was also looking forward to her fourth, which ended with her showing up at my flat in tears, feeling like such a fool for being so in love with Derek that she agreed to sleep with him on their previous date, only to discover that Derek got what he wanted from Dan and decided to move on. After many months of wanting to be more than friends with Dan, on that rainy Friday night I wanted to be, and I was, simply a friend, because that was what Dan truly needed at that time. Which was why, after a few hours of talking and friendly consolation, I was not expecting to have my first kiss from Dan as we waited for the train that would take her home. And of course, I did not expect that to be my only kiss from Dan, for she would be killed in a car accident two days later. As I had stated many times elsewhere, I was completely gutted by Dan's death for quite some time afterward especially during the first few weeks, where it seemed that everyone at school, the other students, the teachers, everyone, they all seemed to just pick themselves up from where they left off and moved on, as if Dan was never there. And I had felt that there was this unspoken expectation for me to do the same. But I couldn't. And I didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to about it. Not even my parents, who both worked a lot. They had long hours and would many times travel on business for weeks at a time. They actually were not in the country the week before and the two weeks after Dan died. The only reason I was able to keep myself somewhat fed and the flat in somewhat good order, as I was expected to do, was because having to focus on those tasks meant not having to think about her. But those tasks were practically all I did do. I coasted through my classes, stopped my daily Aikido routines. Dan was, at the time, the brightest light I had in my life, and now that light had gone out. I was depressed and angry all at the same time, and all that grief and sorrow and rage was just building up inside of me, and I kept it all bottled up because it didn't have anywhere to go. It was a short time later, when I was walking home from school, and passed by that pub, like I would do every day after school. Except on this particular day, Derek was out front, at the corner of the pub, having a cigarette break with a few of his co-worker mates, and was essentially bragging about the sex he had with Dan a few weeks before, using a lot of derogatory terms to describe both the act and my now-dead friend. I was already angry with him for how he had hurt Dan so badly on their last date, and now... I should have taken a breath, ignored him, and just kept going. But of course, Derek saw me walking by, 
and commented that because I had known Dan, I must also know exactly what he was just talking about. And I just lost it. I strode right up to him and smacked him in the face, hard, with the base of my palm. And then I unleashed all my pent-up anger and frustration on the tosser who had broke my best friend's, my first love's, hot weeks before. Derek, of course, fought back, and that was actually what I wanted. And I essentially disregarded all of my Aikidoka breathing techniques, along with my Aikidoka philosophy to remain calm and do no harm. I was lucky that his workmates didn't join in. Instead, they went inside to fetch the pub owner, who, as I had stated, was a friend of my father, to break up the fight. And by break up the fight, I mean to stop me from continuing to beat on a person while he was down. Of course, even such a brief altercation on a public street would attract some attention. More specifically, the attention of two police foot patrol officers, who eventually charged me with a felony account of assault occasioning actual bodily harm. My father said nothing to me at the police station, or during the short drive home. And I was quiet as well, out of respect. I greatly wanted to tell him my side of the story, before he would reiterate to me what he had heard. I could tell he was angry, though he appeared quite calm. We finally arrived home. He dropped me off at the front door, and I entered the flat and made a quick trip to the loo, thinking my father would just drive back to work, given that he had missed a few hours having to fetch me from the police station. So I was surprised to find him kneeling on the living room floor, waiting for me. But then, it was not every day a father had to reclaim custody of his son from the police. I knelt in front of him, tensely waiting for him to tell me what he was told of the assault incident before he would allow for my explanation. After a moment or two of silence, he simply said, Go ahead. I was surprised again. He had allowed me to speak first. However, I was still quite upset from the whole event, and it showed. I had barely gotten one sentence out before my father held up a hand and calmly told me to stop, take a breath. I inhaled and exhaled deeply before he told me to take another breath, and another, and another. And eventually, I was able to somewhat calmly, though still not rationally, explain the assault incident from my point of view somehow holding back my anger and sorrow the entire while as I told my father who Derek was, why I was angry with him, why I attacked him, why I wanted to hurt him. And my father listened without interruption. And despite a slightly arched eyebrow now and then, his face remained completely calm. My father was like that. And, as I was hearing my own explanation spoken out loud, I had realized, and clarified out loud to my father, the reasons why the choice I had made was the wrong one. When I was finished, 
I had expected him to point out any discrepancies from what he was told, but instead he simply said, very matter-of-factly, you should never forget your lessons. Always make an opportunity to stop and take a breath. I nodded, not just out of respect, but because he was right. Then my father stood up, and naturally I did as well, my body trembling from the whole ordeal. Then my father had taken two steps forward and put his hands on my shoulders and softly said, I am very sorry about Danielle. I know she was special to you. And then I clutched my father tight and just burst into tears. He held me gently as I sobbed uncontrollably for several long minutes. I cried so hard that I, that I could barely breathe through it all. I still had a long way to go toward releasing much of my grief from that loss. But right then, in that moment of understanding with my father, I could at least begin to deal with it. Thank you for listening, and my thanks also to everyone who had helped promote previous episodes of Zoom for Sam on social media. As always, please feel free to leave a comment on the show notes page at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And until next time, stay foxy, my friends. The views expressed on this podcast program belong solely to the host, who is not affiliated in any way with any music record label or entertainment company. All copyright and trademarks of music, audio clips, and quoted text are held by their respective owners. These are used for illustrative and entertainment purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. Special thanks to Samantha Fox for the music and the encouragement. The Zoom for Sam podcast is a Professor Zoom Productions production.